You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So let's begin. <clears throat> they, they had to mechir of, uh, just in a sentence, basically, in a sentence. It's very, very simple. There are farmers and uh, in Eretz Yisrael who owned an enormous amount of land, who their entire business and, and parnasa comes from uh, whether it's the vegetables or the fruits or the uh, harvesting of whatever it is that they're growing in Eretz Yisrael. The wine, the uh, the grapes. And uh, during the Shemitah, the Torah says that you're not allowed to work the land. And not only not allowed to work the land, but even anything that grows in your field during the land has a special kedusha, which you're not allowed to do business with, you're not allowed to sell, you're not allowed to buy, only on a very limited um, level. In which case, basically what you're telling the farmer is that, um, you know, for someone who's a doctor or a lawyer or a computer programmer, it's an easy, it's a pretty easy mitzvah to, to do. Someone whose whole business is bananas in the Negev, then it's a really a big, uh, a big avoda and it's a big challenge. So, um, so the question is, are you allowed to, um, you know, allowed to maybe work on uh, some type of, I guess, I, I like to call it a trick, but some type of trick, some type of what we call a harama. It's very simple. You sell the land to a non-Jew. Once you sell it to a non-Jew, somehow we have to figure out what that accomplishes, but somehow that accomplishes, that apparently accomplishes something so that now I can work the land. I was giving a shir here about three, four years ago um, between Mincha Marev and there was a discussion um, about a young man who was uh, getting mad, his offer was on that Shabbos. And he went to the barber one, one, two o'clock in the afternoon, and the barber um, fainted in the middle of his haircut. Half his hair was cut. Half his head was cut, and half his head was still, you know, full of hair. And, uh, it was a big to-do, and uh, whatever, and there was an Eretz Yisrael. Hatzalah came, or the equivalent of Hatzalah came, and they took him. It was like two, three hours, but it was basically, it was Shabbos. It was too late for him to, you know, finish up his haircut. He was, he was involved with the, with the barber. And uh, the Shiloh was whether on Friday night he can get a nandra to cut his hair. Get a non-Jew to go. So that was the Shiloh. Can you have a non- It was related to the Shiloh of whether a non-Jew can cut a woman's nails who's going to the mikvah. Didn't cut her nails uh, a Friday night, but before Shabbos. It's a related topic. So someone came over to me. I won't mention his name. After uh, during the you know maybe Motzai Shabbos says he has a good idea. Why doesn't the young Bacher just sell his head to a non-Jew? Sell his hair to a non-Jew. Sell his hair to a non-Jew, and then he can have a cut on Shabbos, and they can cut. So it doesn't always work to sell things in halacha. We have to explain, you know, when it's allowed, when it's not allowed, what does it accomplish, what does it not accomplish. I thought that was funny. He certainly thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> there was a great rav. There was a great rav. His name is Rabbi Yeshua Lami Kutna. Yeshua Kutna. He was a rav in a place called Kutna. The last thirty-two years of his life, thus he took on that. Uh, that name was uh, stuck. Well, his, his, his last name was Trunk, Rabbi Shula Trunk. And in the first piece, um, the first Maramakam in the Hatim Machir that you have in front of you, he writes, um, to Harav Hagon Hatzadik Bechilmi Alexander. So it's one of the Rebbes from Alexander was asking the Shiloh whether a Hatim of selling the land in Eretz Israel, is it allowed and does it accomplish something? So again, what we're going to be discussing over the next few weeks, just to put it just to put it in a, in a very general perspective, and then we'll get into the details, is one, can you sell land to a non-Jew in Eretz Yisrael? Period. Forget about, forget about Shemitah here. Are you allowed to sell land? Is there any problem with selling land to a non-Jew? Period. In Eretz Yisrael. Certainly you can sell a house in Bergenfield to a non-Jew. Is there a problem with selling land, selling a house, selling a home, selling a tract of land to a non-Jew in Eretz Yisrael? Is there some reason why maybe that's a problem? Number one. Number two. If that is a problem, if that is a problem, then if one does do it anyway, 
does the sale even go through? Sometimes in halacha, the Torah says you can't do something. But even even though, if, if you do it, it, it goes through, it works. It, the Lushen is, it's chal. Chal, the word chalos, the word chal, when we're going to use the word chal, it means that when the Torah says that you have to do a certain action, sometimes all the Torah is saying is that you do that action, and period, after the action's over, the action's over, and nothing continues as a result of that action. Sometimes there's an action that takes place, and as a result of that action, even after the two parties go home, there's been a change in the world, in the halakhic world, there's been a change. For example, the Torah says you should shake lolov. When the Torah says you shake lolov, you shake lolov, you put the lolov down, you go home, nothing nothing continues after you've shaken that lolov, you've shaken the dalaminum. When a man marries a woman, in addition to the mitzvah of Kedushin, after they both, you know, they finish with the Kedushin, everybody goes home, there's been a halachic change in the world that takes place. Now the woman is an Asian dish. That's called a chalos. When we say the word chalos, we don't just mean the chalos that we buy in, uh, in the store for Shabbos, we mean a halachic impact that takes place and remains after the action. So what we want to know is that when we sell, the Torah says, let's just say for a minute, let's say the Torah says you can't sell a piece of land in Eretz Israel to a non-Jew. We'll explain where that comes from. The second question we then want to know is, okay, you say you can't sell it, but you did sell it. You sold it. Is the sale chal? A Kohen is not allowed, not, not allowed to marry a Gurusha. He can't marry a divorcee. Let's say he does marry a divorcee. Is the Kedushin chal? The answer is, interestingly, the Kedushin is chal. They're married. But they're not allowed to be married. That's true. They're not allowed to be married. But they're married, and they have to get divorced. But, the, but the, she's an ashes ish to the Kohen, even though it's a, what we'd call it, it's a chalos, be'isr, but it's still a chalos. If a man would marry his mother, then that would not be chal at all. There's no kedushin. She's not married, and he's not his wife. She's, period. So sometimes the Torah says you can't do something, and even though you can't do it, it's chal anyway. It happens. It works. And sometimes the Torah says you can't do something, and it uh, because the Torah says you can't do it, it does not work. It's not chal. And the Gemara is in the beginning of tomorrow discuss what the distinctions are when the, when the Torah says lo savid that you're not allowed to do something e of it if you do it anyway is it mahani does it work or the lo mahani does it not have any halachic impact at all so the next question we'd want to ask again we have we're just talking general general you're not allowed to sell a piece of land to a non-Jew in Eretz Israel okay. If let's say you do it anyway, I do it anyway. Is it does the sale go through or does it not even work at all? Because if we would come to those following two conclusions, that one, you're not allowed to sell a piece of land to a non-Jew nurse, so and two, if you do sell it, then it's not sold, then there's no hetamachira that you understand. There's no hetamachira. You're not allowed to sell the land, and if you sell it, it's not so that means you can go through the whole hetamachira, but the land still belongs to the Jew. So that's an important question. That's going to be the first discussion that we're going to have. The second discussion we're going to have in next week or maybe the week after is, okay, you're allowed to sell the land to a non-Jew in Eretz Yisrael for some reason. Or you're not allowed to sell it, but if you sell it, it's chal anyway. So therefore, there is a hatamachir that takes place. That means it worked. So what would you do? Like, what did it accomplish? So now the land belongs to a non-Jew. So does that mean that you're allowed to work the land in Eretz Yisrael that belongs to an Anjou. Because there are a number of assumptions that we have to make in order for the Hetem Mechira to have any impact at all. One, we probably would want to say, you're allowed to sell the land to an Anjou. Number two, you'd want to say, well, even if you're not allowed to sell the land, if you do it, it's Chal. So now the land belongs to the non-Jew. The third thing you'd want to say is that now that the sale went through, you would also want to say, not only did the sale go through, but it actually accomplishes something. Now I can work the land that belongs to the non-Jew in Eretz Yisrael. So the first thing is, are you allowed to even... There's almost two questions that we want to ask. Can you do it? And does it have any impact? 
Can, can you sell land to a non-Jew in Eretz Israel? And two, what does it accomplish? Now that the land belongs to a non-Jew, so what can I do? Can I sell the land? Does the, does the payers of the land have Kedusha? Can I do business with the products of, of the land that now belongs to the non-Jew? These are the things that we're going to be discussing. And the third thing we have to discuss, of course, is uh, even if it works, and even if it accomplishes what you want it to accomplish, the Torah says that you shouldn't do it. The Torah says, not you shouldn't do it, the Torah says that if you keep Shemitah, there's going to be a big bracha. So why would anybody want to get involved with these, with the with the hetem achira, if if, the, if it's sivisi like that, I'll tell you the big bracha. Just keep the thing, keep shmita, and I'm going to give a big bracha. The problem is, and again, it's not a. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to say it, but in, in the late 1800s, they weren't saying they were. They were nervous, very concerned, and nervous that the early pioneers were going to Eretz Israel. They were just building up the land, and and uh, as, as difficult and complicated as it was, they were making some progress slowly but surely. They were making good progress. And then you tell them, you know, you know, you have to stop working the land during the Shemitah year. That didn't go over very well. And they had to, they had to rack their brains in terms of figuring out the rabbinim had to rack their brains. Is it something that we could somehow get around? Not only that, it was very important for another very economical reason. There was someone by the name of Edmund Rothschild. You ever heard his name? You heard his name. And he was giving millions, at the time, he was giving millions of, what we would call millions of dollars today, he was giving millions of dollars then. I think it's a, it's, it's, um, it's assumed that there was something like $50 million that he gave to the Yeshuv in Eretz Yisrael of, in his time in the late 1800s. So what's $50 million today? If there was 120 years ago, $50 million 120 years ago, it's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. He was started, a lot of communities were started by him. In fact, I think it's, a, it's a, um, assumed that he bought from non-Jews at that time 125,000 acres of land in Eretz Israel. That's a big zuchus, no? It's a big zuchus. So, so he's, he's paying all this money and helping the pioneers build the land and, and start communities and start vineyards and, 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 and wheat fields and, and building up Eretz Israel. And, you, and they're telling him, seventh year they're going to stop working. Seventh year you stop working. You know, the, 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 the Pasuk says if, when it comes to the Torah, if, the, two things Chazal tell us. One, if you open up, Pischali Pesach Shamachet, if you open up a little hole, show Hashem, a, take one step forward, he'll, he'll put you, he'll put you ten steps forward. Open up a little bit and he'll open up, he'll, he'll open, Pischali Pesach Shamachet, Pesach You give me a little bit, I'll give you a lot. But it also says, if you leave me for a day, I'll leave you for two days. For, if you leave, if you don't learn for one day, then, then you lose, you, you don't just lose that day, you lose two days. Why? Why should that be? It's not a Muslim shmuz. But uh, my friend um, just told me that he was listening to a shift from a Reisman. A Reisman said that when a person learns today, he's not just learning today. He's learning for today and he's learning for tomorrow. Because when he learns tomorrow, the learning that he did today helps him for tomorrow. So every time we learn something, it's a double learning. It's for today and it's for tomorrow. But if you don't learn today, so you lose two days. You lose today and you lose tomorrow's learning that you would have had better because you learned today. That's not what a Reisman said. I just used that, that idea to, to explain it. So... You're gonna not work the land for a year. You're not gonna use, not gonna lose a year. You're gonna lose two years, three years. They were very, very concerned. So, um, some rabbanim got together, specifically the rabbanim who were very favorable towards the chibatzion movement of that time, and they were what we would call religious Zionists. The Rabbi Shul Kutna was one of them. There were Hasidish Admarim who were part of this movement as well. There was a, what we're going to see his uh, um, name and his safer in a minute, the author of the Shalom Yerushalayim, the Pilavarebbe. Pilavarebbe was a grandson of Yisrael Meir, Yisrael Moshe, Yisrael Meir, uh, I think Yisrael Moshe maybe. 
of Morgenstern. He was a grandson of the Kutzker Rebbe. They called him the Zionist Rebbe. The, the Rebbe from the Rebbe, the Zionistic Rebbe. And he writes in his Sefer tremendous things, which we'll see in a minute. But before that, so they asked him, Shulabi Kutna, can you, maybe there's a way to help the Yishuv by selling the land to a Nanju. Would that work? Would that work? Would that accomplish? One, can you do it? And two, as we mentioned before, would it accomplish? Could it, if you sell the land to a non-Jew, can you then work the land? Are you allowed to work the land in Eretz Yisrael during the Shemitah year if it belongs to a non-Jew? That's the question. So he writes in a famous tshuva, which was published after he passed away, as follows. It's a great line. It's a wonderful line. Especially if you're Sfaradi. If you're Sfaradi, this is the tshuva. You have to blow it up, hang it up on your wall. Where he says as follows. If you asked me, with regards to the Shemitah, this is um, maybe the grandson of Reb uh, of Alexander. What you asked me about the Shemitah, Tamani. Listen to this lotion. To sell the land who had their Pashut. Of course it's of course it's allowed. We sell chametz. You're not allowed to have some chametz on on, on, on on Pesach. You sell the chametz. If you have a bechor behemet tahor, you have to give it to a kohen. Sell it to a guy. Before it gives birth, sell it to a guy. Then you buy it back, or you make some type of deal. However, you want to do it, you become a partner with the guy. We do all we 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 sell the bechor behemet tahor. We sell the chametz in Pesach. V'chein ha'yehudim asher yesh lehem kfarim v'sodos b'shapsos hashana. And so too Jews who have villages, who have fields, who have farms during the Shemitah year. And if you tell me, listen, but, but Hashem promised, I'm going to give you a big bracha if you keep Shemitah. Who would want to not take part of that bracha? He says, yeah, that was maybe then. Who has fields in Eretz Yisrael? Now you see why this tshuva may not apply in the year Tav Shinayin Hey as it applied in the year Tav Reish Mem Vav. But he says, but then, I don't know if the bracha existed in the 1800s, Rav Kutna says. And then he writes as follows, Prat, specifically, Higadolei Rabbanei Sarat. Besides the fact that Rabbanim, the Sfardisher Gedolim, have been doing this for years. They had the Mechiriyah been going over They've been writing Shtaros, selling land in Eretz Yisrael to the non-Jews during Shemitah. And the Sfardisher farmers are working the land and the Sfardisher Rabbanim are behind it. That's not the part you should blow up. The part you should blow up is the next line where he writes. Which means as follows. Their small pinky is bigger than the thighs of the Ashkenazic Rabbani. Imagine such a line. This is an Ashkenazi Rav. Their small... Let's read that again. Ashkenazi Parnam, their, their nail is ava, is fatter, is thicker. They're greater, bigger. Mikresim shal chachmei Ashkenaz. Than the, than the, than the belly of chachmei Ashkenaz. And they were matir, ah, uh, very important, they were matir, that Goyim should work the land during Shemitah, through Ahad Machira. So already we see there's some type of pullback, even by this Dolly Svarad, 
But Rav Kutna said, Rav Yeshua says, but certainly it's allowed, and that's what you sell chametz, you sell the, the Bechar Behemotar, you sell, um, you sell the land of Eretz Yisrael also before the year, before Shemitah, and you can work the land. But he says, you should work it by non-Jews. What period is those for I'm talking about? He's talking, presumably, Rabbi Yisrael Yosef, the author of the Yalki Yosef, is talking, assumes he's referring to the Yisra Bracha and uh, Rabbi Fal uh, Panajal, who were the Rishon, they were the heads of the Sephardic Eidot uh, HaMizrach in the late 1800s. So, um, I, have, I have a Talmud whose name is Panajal, it's related to that, to that line. Rafal Panajal, these were the Rishon Litzions in the late 1800s, says, they're doing it, they're bigger than the Chachmei Ashkenaz. If they're doing it, we can do it. Let's finish up the tshuva. Let's finish up the tshuva. However, the truth is, a Jew shouldn't work the land. Now we have to see if it works. It works. Yes, yes, yes. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. What are you going to say? You can't have a head to Mechira now and make what the Svadim don't know what they're talking about? You know how big they are? And not only that, the Ashkenazim are being so quick. He's talking about himself. The Ashkenazim are being so quick to say no head to Mechira. They're causing big, big problems. Why? Because yeah. now there's no, they're not allowing the Hatamachira, and the Jews are working the field themselves. It's a big, it's a big um, nesayan, and they can't, uh, you know, and, and they can't, they, they can't. Is it? Again, if, if you hold it's not allowed, it's not allowed. <laughs> it's not, but if there's room to be mekel, you should be mekel. So I don't even know why anybody would be machmir. He says, works. Which means, which means, again, I haven't really explained much, but what we're saying is that you can sell, if one sells the land to a non-Jew in Eretz Israel for the year of Shemitah, at that point you can have a non-Jew work the land for you. Now, we'd have to explain, we'd have to explain, that according to Rabbi Yeshua, that means that you're allowed to sell the land of a non-Jew to, you're allowed to sell the land in a, a land in Israel to a non-Jew, at least during the year of Shemitah. Maybe there's a difference. Maybe during one, two, three, four, five, six, you can't sell land to a non-Jew in Israel. But for the year of Shemitah, you can. We'll explain why in a minute. And two, what that accomplishes is that once the land belongs to the non-Jew, now a guy can work the land. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Right now, at this point in time, Shemitah. Oh, yeah. We're just starting. We're just, that's very important. Yeah, we'll have to, that's part of, that's, that's usually any big shuva and shemitah will always the first, simon aleph, shviyas bizman azeh, doraiso dorabano. We'll have to get there. We'll probably that there. We're gonna have to. We're gonna get there. I'm just giving a general overview of the, of the, the beginnings of the Heter without even explaining what's behind the Heter. Just as the Rabbanim of Sfar, the Rabbani Sfar did it, they're big people. You can't just say, uh, you know, Machavek. Uh, so they have to, so that we can do it too. So, Rabbi Yitzhak Al-Khanan, after the three great Rabbanim, Rishmol Klapfish and Rishmol Mulliver and, uh, and Rabbi Shulam Ikutna, Came together in the 18, uh, I think it was before the Shemitah of 1889, Shemitah 1888-1889, and this is when Rothschild was saying, hey listen, you gotta work the land, you gotta figure something out. 
You know, I'm not uh, I'm not giving millions of dollars for the for the yeshuv to go uh, to go kaput just because you know. For, so he's telling them we got to work something out. They come together. The three rabbanim come together. One of them is Rabbi Shula, and he says we should allow the Mechira. They send a letter to Rabbi Yisrael Chadon, who was the post of that time. Rizal Khanan was the post of in the eighteen in the mid to eight late eighteen hundreds, Rizal Khanan, and he writes, I agree, I mask him to the heter. That was gigantic for them. It was gigantic for the Hetem Mechira that you had Mr. Khanan on that side. But then he writes as follows. But, there's always a but. But, I'm living, you know, where, where am I living? I'm, I'm living out in Eretz Yisrael. And if the Rabbonim of Yerushalayim, of Eretz Yisrael, the great Rabbonim, the Gedol of Yerushalayim, write the Shtar, if they write the Shtar, the contract that sells the land to the non-Jew, then you have my Haskama. Who was in Eretz Yisrael? Who was Yerushalayim at the time? No, no, no. He was after. He was after. So that was um, that was um, Rabbi, 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 Rabbi Shmuel Salant. No way. He didn't think it would be allowed. He didn't think it would be allowed. Rabbi Shmuel Diskin, I think, was there. He can't do it. So that was a problem. So that that from that point, when Rabbi, Rabbi Shmuel Molliver and uh, and Rabbi Shmuel Kutna and uh, Rabbi Shmuel Klapfish say. We can have a hat to Mechira. They sent to Rizal Khanan. He really, he gives the hat, but he doesn't want to give the hat to Lamaisa until the Rabbani Yerushalayim agree. The Rabbani Yerushalayim disagree, and we're still arguing 120 years later. But that's where it began. So the rabbis disagree. That, today they disagree. Yeah. Then they disagreed. Today, then the Rabbani Yerushalayim generally thought it was not a, a, it was not a possible. The Rabbanim in Europe, these Rabbanim thought it was possible. Mr. Khanna thought it was possible. Another great, we'll see his tshuva in a minute. Another great, great Rav who thought that the Hezbollah was okay was Yosef Engel. He was the great, great Rav. Um, and if he has a conversation with the grandson of the Kutzka Rebbe, Rabbi Israel uh, Morgenstern, Rabbi Israel Pilava. They have this discussion, and he writes a sefer, Otsros Yosef. And Otsros Yosef, there's a long piece on Shemitah where it's basically a response to a kuntras that uh, the, this, the, the third Kutzke Rebbe, the son of Rabbi David, that, that, uh, what he wrote, and it's a response. What you wrote in Osalof is not correct, we wrote in Osbeis, you can disagree with, you wrote in Osgimel, I, 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 there's a machlokas about it, piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. We'll see it inside, we'll see it inside. Will we be discussing the concept of whether a non Jew doing something for a Jew? Is he our agent? That's what we'll, yeah, we'll discuss. We'll, we're gonna, we're gonna, I hope, I hope to hit everything, but we're gonna, it's gonna take time. I was just asking, yeah. what is, I assume you're hiring this non Jew. Yeah. So you're paying him, so what is that accomplishing if you physically are not digging the That's a good question. That goes to the heart of, when you talk about the malacha of Shvius, is it a, is the iser the is it a maisa iser or is it a gram iser? Is the iser that you're not allowed to do work on Shvius? Or is the issue that you're not allowed to have your land worked on Shvius? If it's the former, then you accomplish something. I'm not doing it. Okay, I have a guy do it. But that's not Doraisa. That would be the Rabbanon. Like an Amir Akam. So that it lowers the problem. And then if you sell it to a non-Jew, we allow a guy to do it. But if you, you understand that the nature of the Malach of Shvius is that it's a din in the land. It's a din almost in the, in the hefts of the land. Someone who owns land in Israel cannot cast and make sure that it's not worked. Then you, a guy, really doesn't make much of a difference. And there shouldn't be a distinction. Huh? It's, well, that, so let's see, let's see, let's, let's see the psukim. So you turn the page, but I want to just, before you turn the page, it's so beautiful to see that we saw Morgenstern, again, he's a, a grandson of the Kutzka, where he writes in a famous, somewhat famous name of Shalom Yerushalayim. In discussing, again, this is the time when, you know, a lot of, you know, the push 
the major push, even though there were certainly Rabbanim who were, and religious Jews who were Zionistic, but that was not where the push was coming from, the, the really secular world, the Jews who were not um, affiliated, maybe even anti-religious, and, uh, and, and the Hetem Mechira was sort of, in a sense, giving them some, some kalach to be able to continue work in the land. So a lot of people were very against it, perhaps politically also. But um, the Rabbi Solomon Morgan writes as follows in his safe, in the beginning of his safe, I just read it together. He says, and how do you know, in, in responding to the, responding to the, uh, to the, the political issue of, but look who's, who's pushing Eretz Yisrael now. Look who's, who's, look who's, who's in the forefront of, of the Zionistic movement. People who are, who are not Shomer Shabbos, not Shomer Kashrus, Taras, Hamishpacha. That's who you follow. Look what he says. And you think Hashem's bringing the Yeshua and the Geula through them? Does it make sense that Hashem's gonna bring the Geula and the Yeshua? This is al to the Geula through them? Through the non, through the non-religious? Yes. So Rav Morgan said, this cuts the Rebbe. He says, First of all, it's beautiful. And even though the people who are involved are not the biggest tzaddikim, this is the Chesidah Rebbe. Let's understand where this is coming from. He writes, Sometimes Hashem does His work for the most simple, simple Jew. You think he's simple for whatever reason Hashem has his chashbonos. And if he wants the Medina Yisrael to come through Theodore Herzl, that's where it's going to come from. But why? How does it make sense? Big Rebbe's Tzadik, if they learn the Dabin all day. He says, that's not our business. That's Hashem's business. And then he writes further. I, we know who Hashem's going to choose to be Mekadish his name. Well, I don't know whose chus is greater. But, what we are. but this I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, this is a beautiful one. This I can tell you. When I was younger, I remember, there was some old, old chassidim sitting around. You know, imagine, you come before Mincha five minutes early, the chassidim over two minutes, they're sitting around, and they're remembering the old days. So this is a, someone who's living in the 1800s, who's remembering the old days, because he hears the chassidim talking about what was in the old days. Look what he says. And there was some old chassidim sitting. And they were talking about Eretz Yisrael. And one of them said as follows, This is, this is the, the Rebbe of, the, of Menachem Mendel Mikotsk. Okay, so the early 1800s. I remember an old chassid in the, in the 1880s, and he says, I remember when I was young, I was listening to the, some, some old chassid talking about Rebunim when they were young. And he says, Rebunim, the people who were surrounding him said, when Montefiore from London was becoming very famous, you know that Rebbe Hirsch Kalash was sending letters to Montefiore to buy land in Eretz Israel. Buy land now. You buy land and buy land in Yerushalayim. You buy land in Yerushalayim because start bringing the carbon Pesach, we'll bring the Geula. Yerush Kalash, this was his, this was one of his missions in life to try to bring that to four. He didn't accomplish the carbon Pesach, but he accomplished a lot. The people really, he, he made Eretz Israel in the forefront of people's minds in the 1800s. So the people around him were saying, Maduolo yikna hasar hazes arteremiyana turgama. How come the, how come the, Montefiore is a billionaire. In that time he was a billionaire. How come he doesn't buy land from the Turks so we can, so we can stop moving to Eretz Yisrael? On echram yuchad, mayasabam yikna. Even if he buys it, what are we going to do? We can't, we're going to make Aliyah? Hashem didn't tell us to make Aliyah yet. When Hashem comes and tells us to go, we'll go. 
But what's, what are we going to do anyway? This is one of the chassidim said. So Rav Bonim is sitting at the head. Someone says, why doesn't he buy land in Israel? So another chassid says, what are we going to do? We can't go anyway. So Rav Bonim says, I'm not talking Don't say that. If the land would go from the Nanju, if the land starts being transferred from Nanju to Jew, the Yeshua is going to come slowly but surely. And there's going to be a great Tekuma, a great, what's a Tekuma? A great resurgence. A great uplifting from Am Yisrael of Bezos HaMesibah HaYagam HaRabat Tzadik HaKadosh Rav Henech Me'Alexander Rav Henech Henech Me'Alexander Alexander first Alexander Rebbe was there at that time Vegan Banam HaYishom HaDor Zamipiv Rav Bunim said What do you mean? Buy land and we'll start moving there you'll see what's going to happen there's going to be a big Tukuma hundred years later we have Medina um, Yisrael Let's get back to the Halacha Let's talk Halacha Let's talk Halacha Although the history is fascinating, we'll talk how long. Paul six says, "The Davashem Moshe Bahar Sinai Lemor." This is Parshas Bahar. Matni and Shmita Eitzel Har Sinai. What does that even mean? It's that's Pesach. The Davashem Moshe Bahar Sinai Lemor. Usually says, "The Davashem Moshe Lemor." The Davashem Moshe Bahar Sinai Lemor. When you come to the land that I gave to you, the land should rest. Shabbos Lashem. For six years, you can plant. For six years, you can prune. For six years, you can gather. You can harvest. But on the seventh year, you cannot plant. You cannot prune. You cannot harvest. I'll explain. You can harvest, but not like a balabas. You can harvest a little bit. You can harvest what you need for a few days, for a week. And the, the, the grapes you should not harvest. And then it says, and you're allowed, don't think you're not allowed to eat perosh. You're allowed to eat it. As long as you don't harvest a lot, you're allowed to eat it, but it has to be done in a certain fashion of Kedusha, by Shabbos, Aras Lachem, La'achla, to eating, and Chazal Darshan, you can eat the perosh, fruits and vegetables that grow during Shviyas, you can eat, but you can't do business with it, you have to eat it in such a way so that the, there's no leftovers to the extent that it's going to be, there's not going to be any ruining and wasting of the food. Then it says a little bit further. And if you'll say, after Hashem gives the mitzvah of Yovel, and if you'll say, what am I going to eat? There's nothing. We're not planting. We're not harvesting. What, what, what am I going to eat? Don't worry about that. That's my business. You you do what you're supposed you do what you're supposed to do. I'll send my bracha. You'll have so much in one year to last for three years. That's the parsha of parsha shemitah. The other aspect, which is not in parsha's bahar, but brought in parsha's mishpatim, that during the year of shemitah, the land has to be made hefker. That we don't see from these pesukim, have to be mafka the land. That's a machlokis, and we'll have to get to that as well. Does that mean that if they land during during shemitah, the land in Eretz Yisrael is automatically hefker, just what we call afkaisa the malka? 
Hashem says, and says, it's not yours, it's hefker. Or do we say, no, a person has a mitzvah to be mafka the land, and if he's not mafka the land, then it's not hefker. That's a discussion, Machalk is a base Yosef and the Mavit, which we'll get to as well. But what we see from here is that there's a, definitely a, an avera to plant, um, there's also an avera to plow, and there's an avera to prune your land during the, the year of Shemitah. That's what we say. Yes? And yeah. That's directly to you, the Nesai. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. The Pasuk, That's correct. Bed, That's right. That's exactly right. So how does Shabta Aret happen? That's a good... If you, if you don't work the Shabta if somebody else works, they, do you transgress against the Shabta Aret? I think so. It could be. That's what, the, that's what many of the posts can say. It's true, that's what Steve was mentioning before. What does the Apostle say? He says, Sachalosis from that perspective, it implies, I can't plant, but I can get, I can ask a guy to plant. That's okay. But you would still be in violation of Shav Sa'arat Shabbos Lashem, because the land is not resting. It's a very good point. Very good point. We'll get to that as well. What I want to discuss now is the first point of the shear. First point of the shear. You're not allowed to do Malacha, not do Avoda. Now to avodas hakarka b'shvius. Seventh year comes, you're not allowed to work the land. The farmers want to work; they have to work the land. 1889. What are we going to do? Okay, I have an idea. Shmuel Kutna, the Sfardish Rabbanim before them, whose nail is bigger than our belly, sell the land to the non-Jew. Sell the land to the non-Jew. We can work the land. Let's not for, for right right for now. Let's, let's not distinguish right now between the Jew and the non-Jew. Something once you sell the land, it accomplishes something. That you can work the land, or the non-Jew can work the land, which means you can sell the land. You can sell the land. You can sell land to a non-Jew in Eretz Israel. That is a problem. That in itself is a problem. Why? Because the pasuk says in Devarim Perak Zion as follows: Oz David, when Hashem brings you to the land that you're going to come there to, to inherit. And uh, so they have all these great goyim that are going to be there, but Hashem's going to give give them to you, and you're going to smite them. You should utterly and absolutely destroy them, not downgrade them, not uh, what's the other word that's used, uh, not um, hurt them. Absolutely, completely, hachrem tachrem means destroy, absolute destruction. They're evil. Lot techros lohem bris. Don't make a treaty with them. No peace now. Velot techanem. Velot techanem. Every other word was pretty, pretty easy. Hachrem tachrem means destroy. Lot techros lohem bris means don't make a treaty. What is the, what does lot techanem mean? What does that word even mean? Lot techanem. What does chen mean? Don't give him any benefit, any grace. Any don't give him any grace. Don't give him grace. So Chazal have a triple drasha on this pasuk. Triple drasha. Lo siten lohem chaniye bekarka. Lo siten lohem chaim. Lo siten lohem matnaschinam. Let's discuss the one that we care about is lo siten lohem chaniye bekarka. That's our discussion now. Let's discuss the other two quickly. Lo siten again, it's written in a, and the, the, the Gemara, the Rishonim explained the reason why they have a triple drasha because it could have, if it was, if it meant chen, it should have said lo, lo sachen or something. So the fact that it said this funny word implies a three levels of interpretation. One, you cannot give them matnas chinam. Shouldn't just give a gift to a non-Jew for nothing. Someone's in my office and everybody's exchanging gifts and that's the nature of what happens. And if you don't, so then 
um, you know, there's going to be an ill will. That's not nothing. That's not, that's not, that's not for nothing. If you give a tip, you give a tip, you give a tip, you're going to get a better service. That's a question. That in itself is a question. That in itself is a question. That's a question. It's a discussion. Even though, the, even though the Pasuk says, mentions the seven nations, many, um, points in the Gemara and many Rishonim imply that it applies to all non-Jews. So let's assume for a moment it's all non-Jews. So this applies to all non-Jews. Lo Then we'll see the Meiri in a minute who definitely applies it not to all non-Jews. But Lo If it's for nothing, if I'm gaining something back, that's not Manaschina. If I give my if I give my neighbor something, so then he's going to take. But just stam We want you to stay. This almost is real. It's almost like the dindaraisa of many of the gemaras and of others that talk about the things that Chazal instituted in order to keep us away from non-Jews to try to um, uh, discourage any uh, an intermarriage, uh, God forbid, and things like that. So this is like a, the dindaraisa of, of what that is. Number two, don't praise. Don't be praising the, the walking around praising the non-Jews. You praise the non-Jews, and uh, you know the, that's who you begin to focus on. That's what you want to become like. You're praising Gedola Yisrael Tzadikin, you know Kedoshim, not the you know uh, you know basketball players. That's not where our praise should go. Number three, it also says that Lo Sitein Lohem You cannot give them Chania. What's Chania? A place in camping, a, a makom. Bekarka in Eretz Yisrael. Lo Sitein Lohem Chania Bekarka. Good. That's already that's already one of the answers to the question. The question is the Gemara says in the Tanya Nami Hochi Los Chanim Los Yitain Lehem Chaniyeh Bekarka. The Barachel Los Chanim Los Yitain Los Yitain Lehem Chaim. The Barachel Los Chanim Los Yitain Lehem Matnaschin. But the first droshen of the Zorah Davchaf is Los Yitain Lehem Chaniyeh Bekarka. You cannot sell land. You cannot give land or sell land to the non-Jew. So, so what's the so 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 how in the world can you allow a hetem achira? So there's a number of answers. Sam just mentioned one. And this is what some of the Achronim say, is that maybe the whole Avera, the whole Issa, the whole prohibition of selling land, to, even though the Gemara, doesn't, the, the Gemara doesn't say this, but the whole prohibition of selling land to the non-Jew, giving land to the non-Jew, is to be giving it on a, a permanent basis. Let's miss us forever. If it's clear that I'm selling them the land, and in the contract is that I have the right to buy it back at the end of the year, that's not what the Gemara is referring to. Therefore, therefore, there is no problem, according to that, to sell the land for the Shemitah year to the non-Jew, because you know that it's going to be um, incumbent upon him to sell it back to me at the end of the year. Number one, that's one reason. Again, we have a problem. You can't sell land. The Apostle says, forget about everything. You're not allowed to sell land to a non-Jew. The answer is, in this context, you're allowed to sell the land. There was another suggestion that someone just gave of maybe why during Shemitah different. We mentioned before. Again, it's funny. What is the reason why you can't give them land? Well, you can't give them land because I want Jews to be living there, not non-Jews. I want a, I want a Jewish presence, not a non-Jewish presence. I want Torah, not a Vodazorah. Yeah, but, but selling the land to them during Shemitah is actually going to further the cause of having Jews live in Eretz Yisrael. It's like, if you understand that the reason why you can't sell the land to the non-Jew is because that's going to hinder Yishev Eretz Yisrael, but let's say selling the land is actually going to increase Yishev Eretz Yisrael. Oh, well, then maybe it's allowed. And that's what some say. Rav Cook writes in his very important say for Shabbos Haaretz, he writes as follows, let's look at this, and we'll take a question. A third reason why perhaps it's allowed to sell the land to the non-Jew 
during Shemitah, he says as follows. You see how he says Goy, not Shiva Alamim. So he understands like many of you shall know this applies to all Goyim, not just to Shiva Alamim. Rav Agon Rev Zayin Shach. Who's Rev Zayin Shach? What's Rav Shach's first name? I don't think so. Menachem, Manshach, right? It's not him. So Rav Shach from the Bezdin, he was, I'm sure Rav Shach at some point was on the Bezdin, but uh, he's not referring to that Rav Shach. He can't be referring to that Rav Shach because Rav Shach was probably like 10 years old at the time. Or maybe he was 20, right? In the 19, this is in the 1920s. No, it's Rav Shach, no. So it's a different Rav Shach. The Yeshama de Begoy, Shebalav hochi yeshlo chani yevikarka. Ein hato sebes mashem osifim olanato asrum anatora. You hear this svara? You can't sell land to a non-Jewish Israel because you can't give a guy a, 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 a foothold in Eretz Israel. But let's say he already has a foothold. He lives in Eretz Israel. He lives in Israel. So what's the problem? You're giving him a little bit more land? That's not a problem. Maybe. Maybe not. I think you can go both ways with that tomorrow. A guy who has no foothold in Eretz Israel, you let him in and sell him land in Eretz Israel, that's not allowed. He already owns, he owns a farm. So now he's going to own another farm. That's not a problem. Okay. Therefore, Rav Kook says, best to sell it to a guy who already owns Karka in Eretz Israel. So he already has a cash in Eretz Israel with the land that he owns without you. So therefore, you selling him your farm is not going to make much of a difference. So again, we have three reasons why maybe it's not a problem of Los Sechon to sell land to a non-Jew in Eretz Israel. One, he already owns land, so it's selling him more land that's not part of the problem. Number two, he's increasing the issue of Los only if it decreases the issue of, of Eretz Israel. What was the third one? The third one is it's only Los Sechon if he's selling it for him forever and not if it's for a particular period of time. Rev. Cook says a fourth, um, a fourth if, you have, if you have to leave, you know, don't, you know, please go. We're going to be finished in five minutes for now. Um, lo- long way to go over the next few weeks, but finish for now. And the fourth, fourth point that Rev. Cook says is that there is no problem to sell land. You can't sell it to a, one, someone from the seven Amamim, and you can't sell it to someone who's a, um, even a regular guy. But if someone's a Ger Toshav, someone is not, someone who is, does not worship about the Zara. Someone is, uh, Kim Shem Mrs. B'nai Noach. So then, him, there's no problem of Los Sechanim. Sort of. Cook said, that's why it's best to sell it to an Arab. The Arab has the status of a Gertoshev. Gertoshev, usually a Gertoshev means you accept upon yourself the seven mitzvahs in a formal way. He says, no, if that's the nature of their religion, is to accept the seven mitzvahs, and they're not of the Avodazar, presumably according to Moshe Shalom, Islam is not of Avodazar. So according to the Rambam, certainly he holds like that. And therefore, there will be no problem of, of, of Gertoshev. The problem is, of course, that you have to find the right Arab, because part of being a Gertoshev is Los Sirtzach. So there's a, there's a big problem there. So, so, and so I'm not sure if they would fit today into the status of a Gertoshev, but certainly then you, and even today you probably could find a few that would uh, fit that, uh, fit that category. So basically we have four reasons why Los Khanim is not a problem. However, if you would hold that it is a problem, and you don't like these reasons, the Chazanish thought this was, uh, this was, this was, uh, this was stretching it. This was stretching it. This was gymnastics. Says Rabbi Chazanish disagreed. He says you're not allowed to sell land to a non-Jew in Israel. Period. Even if it's for only a particular period of time. Even if you're saying that it's enhancing the issue of Israel. Even if it's to a Ger Toshav. Even if it's he doesn't think the Arabs are Ger Toshavs. And if it's for even if it's uh, what was the other reason? Even if it's um, well, if not, let's meet. Rabbi Chazanish said you can't sell land to a non-Jew in Israel. That's what we're up to. Lenny. Was there any? 
question as to the uh, way back the land in the first place. It was told that we were going to keep that land forever, and that we're not supposed to from one tribe to another after we tried. How can we give it to a guy? Maybe it's related. It could be that it's related. It could be that it's related. And then the answer would be, well, we're only just giving it to you. We're only renting it. Right. Well, then that violates the concept of that we actually gave it to the guy. Right, right. It could be. It's probably all taken into consideration. And is it maybe more fundamental? Yeah. The question is to Shemitah altogether. When? When it says, well, in the heart, Shav Sar Shabbos Lager. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right, yeah, yeah, we'll get you. That's what some of the posts can say. That's exactly why you can't have a hat. That's exactly right. Does, doesn't even work for Chlau. So we'll see, we'll see. We're going to see, we're going to see, we're going to see. Right, right now, I, want, I just want to point out one, one, really one point. One, the Torah says you can't sell Losachanim, Chazal Darshan, you can't give land, you can't give a foothold of Eretz Yisrael to a non-Jew. We have four Mahalchim of how maybe it's allowed. The cook mentions one or two. And the Chazanish says he doesn't think that any of them are correct. You cannot sell land to a non-Jew in Eretz Yisrael. That's where we are up to. Next week we have to discuss just two things. One is, if you hold that it's not allowed, so I, I, I hold like the Chazanish, it's not allowed. You can't, you can't partake in that. Okay, but, but someone else holds that it is allowed. That you, you can sell the land. So now I go into a store... And they, so they rely on the Mechira because they hold, like one of the Sephora's that selling the land is allowed. But I hold it's not allowed. So the person in my mind did something wrong. I don't know, he followed his post. I can't say he did something wrong. But according to me, he did something wrong. According to me, you're not allowed to do that. According to me, if I go into his store, are his payros, payros of Shemitah or not payros of Shemitah? Because if according to me, you're not allowed to sell the land because I hold the Chazanish, and the Chazanish holds, this is what we mentioned before, that when you sell, when you sell the land in Israel to a non-Jew, the sale didn't go through, it wasn't chal, so then there was no hat That means the fruits that he has are peroshmita, and I have to treat them as such. And not only they're peroshmita, but they're peros which were planted during shmita, that were seeded during shmita. So that's what we have to figure out. According to those who hold that you can't sell the land, if you would sell the land, would it be chal or not? That's an important piece. The second, very fundamental question, almost preceding all of this, but I didn't want to start with this, is when is Shemitah? What year is Shemitah? We know it's the seventh year. And of course, and of course, Warren's question, is Shemitah today, or maybe it doesn't apply at all. Maybe the whole thing is Amidah's Chasidus, which is what a number of Rishonim actually say, which we don't pass like, but maybe we can use them as a sniff. Lahakel. If you just throw them into the pile, when you're being mekel, you can say, you know, the Balamor holds that today there's no Shemitah Bechlal. There's no dinner of Shemitah in Eretz Yisrael because the whole dinner of Shemitah requires a Bezdin to say that this, that this year is Shemitah. And since there's no Bezdin, Hagadol, to say that, so therefore there's no Shemitah at all today. You want to keep Shemitah, it's a nice Midas Chasidus. You can wear wool sets also, whatever you like. But it's not, but it's nothing, it's not going to be, it's not going to be more, it's not going to be more than that. That's the first question. The second question is, um, when is Shemitah? When is Shemitah? Tafshanai Hei Shemitah. How do we know that? Well, because seven years ago, it was Shemitah. And how do we know that? Well, in 1888, 1889, it was, it was also Shemitah. Well, how do they know that? Well, we just have, basically have a Masorah. The funny thing is that this Masorah is very, very problematic because the Tanoim themselves disagree with Shemitah. 
The Tanoim themselves disagree with Shemitahs. So, and there's a Machlok and we showed them how to paskin. So can we use that as a sniffle? How can we say, listen, for sure everybody agrees that today the Jewish world agrees, and this is the halacha, that Tafshinayin Hei Shemitah. But can we at least, as we're involved in the Hatem Mechira, say, listen, it is possible. It is possible this year's not Shemitah. So maybe we can make all on that too. Can we use that as a kula? Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.